What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of FedWatch. My name is Ansel Lindner, and I am here with my co-host, Christian. How are you doing, Christian? I'm doing great. Recording from the same room as P as he's packing up so he can. Oh, oh my God. I called him. I, I called him. I called him P, but his name's Q. Oh my God. I fucked that one up. He's but, uh, yeah, no. Recording from the studio. Q is about to go meet up with P and do some secretive recording. They're, they're working on some special projects later this evening, but we're going to have to hold it down for the rest of the day. For all the guests out there, I recently gave Ansel a huge shout out on Twitter. But he is putting out such excellent work, not just on FedWatch, but on his own con. I want y'all to go check out Bitcoin and Markets. You're dropping a podcast like on a weekly basis right now there in, in addition to FedWatch. And Ansel also has a great Telegram group where he is getting on and doing analysis on a daily basis. So I haven't seen Ansel creating this much content in a really long time. So love to see it. The world needs his signal and people need to follow the man. So make sure to check it out. Also, we got to shill the censorship resistant issue. This thing is so freaking awesome. But I also want to show the El Salvador issue and the to the moon issue. Inside Scoop, we are raising prices. I'm raising prices on all of our legacy back catalog of magazines. I'm going through, I'm counting how many we have, and they are hella rare. So go to store.bitcoinmagazine.com, use the promo code, make sure to save, and BM Live. Yeah, there's Q. So make sure to save and get those mags before I crank up the prices, because it's, it's my call, and I'm telling you, prices are going up. So uh, get your piece of Bitcoin history today. And make sure to subscribe to get the best price on all future Bitcoin Magazine issues. The next one is coming out at the beginning of Q4, and it is going to be absolutely fuego. Ansel, back to you. Yeah, thanks for the shout out. So yeah, I'm excited to come up to Nashville and see you in what, three weeks or so? We're going to get a chance to hang out in person. Oh, even in, yeah. Even in Miami, we didn't get a chance to hang out because you're busy and, and all that stuff. So yeah, that's it's. I'm looking forward to, is it September 10th? up there in Nashville. Yes, sir. Let's, I mean, Bitcoin day in Nashville, use promo code BM, or sorry, Bitcoin mag 10. Jeez, I blew that twice. It's BTC mag 10, BTC mag 10, save yourself 10% off. Ansel and I, we've met each other in person now twice. We've shook hands yeah. twice and that is <laughs> it. Every single time was hi, bye. I got a million fires to put out. And Ansel it's is like a, kind of enjoying the conference. A total of four minutes in in two meetings. So yeah. this time we're gonna we're gonna hang out for several hours, and it, it should be a great time. So if you guys are in the Nashville area and they have tickets left, yeah, definitely use that promo code that Christian just shouted out and come join us. Bitcoin Day IO is the website you can go to. I can't wait. Right. I am I'm emceeing by the way. Dylan McClare, awesome. Tyler LaRouche, Tommy Marcheski for the Bitcoin magazine team are speaking. Ansel, what do you do you know what you're gonna be talking about at Bitcoin at Bitcoin Day Nashville? Well, so far I'm just gonna be on a panel with Kent, who was a, a friend from the Omaha Bitcoin scene. And so we're gonna talk do a little kind of fireside chat about deflation about interest rates and things like that and then i'm still going to try to get my own individual presentation but I, I haven't nailed that down yet so to be determined the last time i presented at bitcoin day sacramento i talked about how no one is bullish enough and how <laughs> bitcoin is going up so much that you probably already have enough so i haven't really changed my talk track i will not be giving a presentation but i will be emceeing 
which is quite the honor. And I'm excited to to present you and Kent up on stage and see what else we do. But until then, let's MC this episode of FedWatch. Yes, let's yes. get into these topics. A lot to talk about before we get into, you know, the, the everyday lesson about why it's important to be, you know, critical thinker and why it's important to not necessarily go along with the, the every narr- everyday narrative, even those that are coming from Bitcoiners. But before we get into that, Rick Marol, let's get into the international central bank news. Okay. Well, we have, do you want to start with a, a Bitcoin chart? Like we usually do, we can just start yeah, with let's that. Yeah, let's okay, do it. Let's do it. So can we bring up a slide number one, Chris, please? So this is the slide that I've been showing or the chart I've been showing for several weeks now. We are above this kind of area of resistance of by volume. So the kind of multicolored bars on the right, that is a volume by that price level. We have gone over that. So, and we're coming to the end of this kind of rising wedge pattern. So It's almost like do or die time. Is Bitcoin going to choose to break upwards out of this or down remains to be seen. I lean, it's, I think it's more likely that we, we rally upwards still to that $29,000 level. But you know, this, I think that this is crunch time for the price and we should see a decision within the next week if we're going higher or not quite yet. Any, any comments on this? Well, I know all my all my coworkers in the office, and the office is actually pretty full today. Know that I yeah. have pretty much been doing shitty TA all morning, where I'm like, "This is it, guys. This is the moment." You know, this chart is coiling up, and it's either going to break up or it's going to crash down. So, you know, it really does look like a lot of tension is just kind of like consolidating uh, towards you know that point on that little uh, you know wedge that you're or drawn there, and. You know, obviously not all lines are, are rock solid, but these lines look pretty solid. And you can just look at the chart. I'm looking at it at the monitor in our office. And, you know, you just see those higher highs and higher lows and that, you know, a little bit less volatility. So we'll see what happens. But that's my shitty TA for the day. So don't take too much of it at heart. But Ansel's the one with the real signal here. But I don't know, like when you look at a chart, this very this spot looks very unique compared to you know, what you're looking at prior to this point in the chart. And when you look back these last few, like six months or so. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the things that Bitcoin has been correlated with recently, like stocks are rallying despite all the bears out there that are just, you know, screaming at the chart. It, It still goes up inch by inch on the, on the stock market. So if Bitcoin keeps that correlation, Bitcoin should rise. We'll see. But there's also other thing, other prices like in my Telegram group, I've been really honing in on oil, the oil price, because a lot of people are talking about that there is a really tight supply, yet the price keeps going down. So those two things don't really match. And the way I square that is by saying, well, demand is just falling more than you think, right? So yeah, I'm really watching oil. I'm watching the stock market and Bitcoin. I think those three charts can give you a really good understanding of what's going on in the market in general, in my opinion. So that's all I have for price. Should we move on to China? Yeah, no, let's let's get into macro. And ultimately, Bitcoin's price, it might shoot up, it might shoot down. I think this is why it's important to have <laughs> dry powder. If you can have cash flow, have cash flow and put yourself in position to ride it out. You know, you should... You should have been buying this whole time. And then depending on what Bitcoin does, maybe you're in position to buy more. So just do whatever you can to insulate yourself. Again, the whole point about Bitcoin is Bitcoin is this new system. It's going to have growth. 
uh, where the existing system is decaying. That's where the opportunity is. And you need to be able to ride out the wave until we get there because it's going to be volatile. Right. All right, Chris, if you could go to slide number eight. So overall, over the last week, it's been kind of a slow news week for Bitcoin, but there was this interesting data release from China. They do this every month. It's their monthly release, and it was a shocker. So big-time economic slowdown, slower than all the estimates over there in China, and they also did a surprise rate cut. So for audio listeners, after when we put this out on the podcast apps, the, the headline here is China shocks with rate cut as data show alarming slowdown. Central bank surprises by cutting key interest rates, retail, industrial output, investment data, miss estimates. If you go to the next slide, that is the kind of the numbers here, the important numbers. So industrial production rose by only 3.8% from a year ago, even though the forecast was 4.3%. And remember, China's used to growing at seven or more percent. So these numbers are just horribly low. When you go from 7% growth down to three and a half percent, it's like slamming on the brakes in your economy. Some more numbers here. Retail sales growth slowed to 2.7% in July, lower than economists' projections of 4.9. So one of the things that China is trying to do is switch from a production-based economy over to a consumption-based economy, right? So they need these retail sales to go up while they're having a demographic collapse. So it's kind of really hard to make to make this happen and retail sales continue to slump this is barely over 50 percent of the projection for retail sales fixed asset investment gained 5.7 percent so that was actually pretty good but the projection was 6.2 percent so it missed by half a percentage point and nested within that bullet point i don't know if they're trying to hide it in here but property investment contracted by 6.4 percent in the period and that's the retail or the real estate sector contracted by six percent now i don't really buy this number because we've reported here and they're reporting elsewhere that month on month like in june it was a 30 percent decline in property sales month on month that is a gigantic drop so i don't think that this 6.4 is really all that accurate perhaps they you know, tweaked it to look the best they could. And even then it was still a negative 6.4%. So this, that's a a big deal because the Chinese real estate is the largest asset class in the world. And lastly, here we have survey jobless rate fell to 5.4% from 5.5%. So on the surface, their employment looks good, not quite as good as the U S quote unquote tight labor market, but it is going, the unemployment rate is going down slightly. However, their youth unemployment, which is 16 to 24 year olds hit a record of 20%. And that is the exact same as the U S actually in that same age bracket. So, and what, if, if you're going to have like civil unrest, it's the youth that usually kick that, kick that off. So it, you know, when you have unemployment of the youth at 20% in a communist country, with lockdowns and a, and a credit crisis, I think you're you're asking asking for trouble. So, do you have any comments on that before I go into the charts, or should I just keep on cruising? Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely want to talk about it a little bit. I would say, you know, first and foremost, we've been talking about China on this show a lot, and mm-hmm. it's really clear that they're in a really tough situation. And I think our response to that would be, you know. <laughs> Communism doesn't work. Centralized right. allocation of capital, centralized control, top-down control of an economy doesn't work in any 
any benefit that they may have gotten over a short period of time, a couple of decades of, you know, being able to paper over those inefficiencies of top-down decision-making, like all the slack is gone now. So really Mm -hmm. every single move they do is, is kind of, it's either with the market or it's against the market. And then it's effectively putting them in a worse global situation. So I I think that they're in trouble. It's really shocking when you see globally the lack of employment in the youth. I think that that's signaling lack of health across global economies. Like theoretically, the youth should be the most productive, right? Theoretically, the youth should be the cheapest labor that, you know, is sought after. So when economies can't put to use their youngest, most vital, you know, vital, theoretically, most educated workers, you know, you know, comparatively to any other generation, the most educated, if it can't even put these people to work, like, what are we doing? Like the misallocation of capital is just insane. So that was my, my, my next kind of point I wanted to make. And then third, most people in America, most people in the West, still don't know that China is in this bet, this terrible situation. Yeah. I guess people who are paying attention to macro understand that things aren't going well. There's like this news of issues in the real estate sector there. But I, I think that for the most part, this kind of idea that Bitcoin, or sorry, this idea that China is still on pace to just overcome the West and overcome the United States, that's, that's the typical narrative still. Uh, so unless you're actually paying attention to what is happening in China, there's still like this kind of um, like inevitable dominance of China over the world kind of mentality that's happening. And it's just not true. It just couldn't be further from the truth as when you kind of actually look at what's happening on the ground. I mean, Ansel, do you want to talk about that kind of asymmetry of the information of what's actually happening in China? And then, you know, I guess the impression in the West of China and their, their power. Yeah, well, I think the over what what would you call it? overestimation of china stems from people underestimating the us dollar right and also the us has been so globally dominant and we've had all these expeditionary wars with our our military we've we've kind of lost the favor of popular opinion in at least geopolitical or foreign policy type stuff so people kind of gravitated towards thinking china was going to be the the, the new global hegemon plus in the gold bug community even you know long before i got into bitcoin they were talking about how china was just importing so much gold and so they were going to be you know they had this plan to take over the global economy and crash the us dollar and all of this stuff but you know as it as it has evolved that that obviously hasn't been the case but people keep hanging on to their old their old bias against the US dollar and against or and for China. I mean the the way that the Thucydides trap thing caught on. So Graham Allis can't remember exactly what year but it was somewhere around the great financial crisis wrote how China is the rising power and the US is the declining power and he used Thucydides which is an ancient Greek writer. He used an example of the Peloponnesian War between Sparta and Athens and and how a rising power and a declining power are destined to, for war uh, and to have confrontation. And then he said, oh, this is China and the U.S. Now, most people said China would end up winning that. And that also maybe got a lot of people down that path to form a bias for China and against the United States. But I'll just remind everybody, I mean, it's pretty simple. China's communist. You know, communism doesn't work. 
central planning doesn't work. So that should be step number one. Just convince me that communism can work. And then I'll think that China is going to become a global hegemon. So anyway, that's that's all I would have to say about that. But I have some more charts here with their GDP. Should we go into that? Yeah, I mean, let's jump into that. But I, I think one more point that you make yeah. a lot is that China has never been able to command power. China has never yeah. been able to take advantage of any sort of position of superiority for a long period of time. And a great example of this is, you know, at one point, China had an incredibly powerful navy, one that potentially could have been comparable to a European power, and they self-sabotaged it. Uh, the emperor, uh, you know, destroyed his, his own navy or hit the merchant class's navy uh, in order to try to depend, defend their own uh, kind of domestic superiority. So, uh, we could be seeing something exactly like this happen once again in China, where the communist agenda is greater than the manufacturing power or the market forces that have really thrived within China up until, you know, through the last 20, 30 years. Absolutely. I think Xi is, you know, he has, there, there's a stat that I can't remember now exactly. It was from Michael Beckley's Unrivaled book. And he said that in, in higher education, the, the Chinese have to spend like 20% of their time reading the book of Xi Jinping and his communist thoughts. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. Xi Jinping it really wants to bring back uh, communism in, in a second wave. So, but really, I mean, I think we've covered this on the show before, but the Chinese initially with the great leap forward, they failed to institute communism and it just, you know, had horrible effects. So then they opened up because in communist thought, you know, the, the revolution happens after communism runs its course, right? So if you think about how we were supposed to go from an unequal society where the workers rise up and take back their, the power, that needs to go through a capitalist phase first. So China said, whoa, whoa, okay, maybe we just didn't have our capitalist phase. So they opened up and they created a business environment so that they could build up capital in their country. But they always had the plan because they're communists. They always had the plan to have another revolution, to have another way of seizing all the capital, to taking control and having a second communist revolution. And I think that's Xi's, that's Xi's plan right now. And so loyalty is more important than economics right now. And they're going to sacrifice their economy. That's, that's kind of what I think is, is going on there. Loyalty is more important than results. <laughs> loyalty is more yeah. important than reality. That's what communism is about. So yeah. sticking to the plan from on high or from the leader or whatever is more important than reality. So if you watch Chernobyl, like that's, <laughs> That is the vibe that you get when you're watching that show. You're just like, wow, the cringe of decision making in a top down system is, is really quite unbearable. So that's what yeah. communism is about, y'all. So whenever you hear anyone talking good about it, it's about allocation of capital. There's no way they can allocate capital effectively in any way, especially compared to real market forces. That's how you actually allocate capital. All right. End of rant from me, Ansel. I know you've got some more charts. Let's get into it. Yeah, let's go to a chart. Let's go to slide number 11 first, please, Chris. And that is a long-term chart of G Chinese GDP. And you can see that it peaked out right at the great financial crisis, about 15%. And ever since then, it's been slowly trending downward. There was a violent 
you know, obviously 2020 and 2021 with COVID, uh, but now it's just kind of returning to trend, uh, slowly going down. And that, that's my base case for the whole global economy, at least for the US and uh, major economies, is just a return to normal of low growth and low inflation. That's what I think the this, you know, you can kick the can down the road long enough to have zero growth and zero inflation. And that's where Bitcoin comes in is taking over. But I just want to point out that their GDP is just returning to trend. If you go to the next slide, that is showing the rate cuts. So they have some different, you know, national PBO, the People's Bank of China, they they set different interest rates. The, the one on the bottom in the red there is the seven day rate. And then the black one is the one year rate. And that's the ones that they just cut. You can see that little blip down there on the end. If you go to the next slide, that is, I'm just going to read through this from this article from Bloomberg. So China's central bank cut both one year and seven day lending rates by 10 basis points to a move economists said would have little impact a since COVID controls have made households and businesses reluctant to borrow. New credit in July increased at a slower pace than since any time since 2017. Quote, a rate cut shows the entire economy is in trouble, said Iris Pang of ING Group. A wave of mortgage boycotts by households over incomplete projects has made households nervous about buying homes, reducing the impact of lower mortgage rates, she added. So yeah, they, they lower these, the their quote unquote Fed funds rate to try to make it uh, more attractive to take out mortgages, but people are actually boycotting these mortgages and there's nothing to buy because none of these projects are finished. So it's just kind of, it just seems like there's there's gotta be a saying for this, but you know, like the tiniest correction when you need to revamp the whole thing, it's just too little too late maybe. So the economy's slowdown, which began in March as authorities in dozens of cities imposed lockdowns to control COVID outbreaks has spilled over to major economies such as Germany and South Korea as China's demand for manufacturing goods slumps. Nomura Holdings Inc. said growth in the second half will be significantly hindered by the zero COVID policy, the downward spiral of the property market, and a likely slowdown in exports as the global economy weakens. Quote, Beijing's policy support could be too little, too late, and too inefficient, the economists led by Lu Ting wrote in a note. We think markets are too optimistic about growth in the second half, and we expect a new round of cuts of growth forecasts in coming weeks. So that's that's all I have for this China situation. I think it's getting worse and no end in sight. They sound bearish in that in that article. Yeah, and then I read something also <laughs> by Michael Pettis, you know, for, he's a famous China commentator and he said that some people are actually starting to get worried because they're being so bearish in the financial press in China that they're worried they're going to start getting government crackdown on these bearish calls. So damn crazy. I mean, if they're like, if you can't even contain your fearful citizens that don't speak up against the the system as it is, like, if those people are even being bearish and they're getting out of control, like, wow. I mean, China's screwed. Well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'd be very interested to see how things play out in the next five years or so i mean it's 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 too i think that this is a situation where if you make calls like you know there will be revolts in one or two years you'll look like a fool but 
you know, by the end of the decade, who the heck knows what's going to happen? Pretty much anything is on the table, at least when it comes to political unrest and loss of credibility of these really entrenched old systems, the CCP, a lot of what's happening in the US. I mean, I guess Europe is not that entrenched and old, but the feuds are. So yeah, I guess, you know, who who really knows, again, what, what could happen in the next decade? And this is why I'm so bullish about Bitcoin in, in you know, in that time frame. Yeah, well, we can say that China is not going to probably return to its previous levels of high growth. So we can say that they're going to have to get used to growing like the rest of the world has been growing since the great financial crisis, which is not very much at all. And that probably entails some social upheaval. But yeah, I agree with you. So let's move on to Jamie Dimon's comments, because I thought they were pretty awesome, actually. And they show they give us a good insight into what these people are thinking, not only Jamie Dimon himself, but remember, he's the CEO of JP Morgan. And the Wall Street banks own the Federal Reserve. So I think that hearing what Jay, what Jamie Dimon is saying kind of gives a glimpse into maybe what some candid conversations with Powell would be like, what the Fed is actually thinking. So I wanted to read through some of these. This is a leaked transcript or type of transcript, not a full transcript. It looks like someone was typing during a investor call. So Jamie Dimon was talking to some high net worth clients and someone was taking notes. And I think that's what this, this is because it's some of the sentences are incomplete and stuff like that. But uh, let's let's go through some of these. So, on the next next slide here, uh, there is a uh, there are storm clouds. Uh, it is a strong economy, so that's interesting. Consumers' balance sheets are in good shape. Businesses are in equally good shape. What you forecast or when you forecast, you have to think differently. What is out there? There are storm clouds. Rates, QT, oil, Ukraine, war, China. If I had put if I had to put odds on it, I'd say soft landing 10%, harder landing with a mild recession 20 to 30%, harder recession 20 to 30%, and maybe something even worse than that at 20 to 30%. It is a bad mistake to say there is just one single point forecast. So what he's saying here is, you know, if you go by those those uh, probabilities, he's saying there's a 50% chance of either a hard recession or something worse than that. So I think that's that's pretty crazy. But he's also kind of tipping tiptoeing around because he's saying this is a strong economy. Consumers have are their balance sheets are good, businesses balance sheets are good, banks balance sheets are good. Jeff Schneider has been reporting that this won't be a repeat of 2008 because banks are, have actually have pretty strong balance sheets right now. So exactly what is going on is he's kind of playing both sides. 50% chance of a hard recession or worse or something worse, something he can't even speak of. Like he doesn't know. I don't think he knows. So, so I, th this just makes me think of one, it's humanly impossible to be bullish enough on Bitcoin and it's probably humanly impossible to be bearish enough on fiat. So those two things go hand in hand. Well, I mean, if he's thinking there's 50% of something really bad happening, I think that's what Powell thinks, right? And if Powell is thinking that, he's just like waiting to pivot. And what happens to Bitcoin when Powell pivots and starts QE again? And, you know, the it's going to be crazy when that happens. So I, I that's why I think it's important to look at this, not just from Jamie Dimon 
and kind of a leaked audio from his high net worth clients, but also what it means about Powell because the big banks own the Federal Reserve. That's who Powell works for. Anyway, let's keep going on another, another quote here. So on inflation, he says, the numbers are so distorted when you have this fiscal and monetary stimulus. Have you seen a recession where unemployment is going down? Inflation is 8%. I don't see it will dissipate that quickly. I think the Fed had 4% by the end of the year. I think that is highly unlikely. And remember, JP Morgan owns the Federal Reserve, or at least partially. And he's saying he doesn't think that it's highly unlikely that they'll get to 4%. All right, continuing. If you ask the question, how are you doing? What are the prospects of your company? Oh, pretty good. If you ask them about their confidence, it's low. I think because of inflation, because of partisan politics and a lot of leftover anger from COVID-19, I wish we had the spirit that we were all here to work together, but it seems we just got nastier somehow. CEO's biggest complaint is they can't hire people. I think what's interesting about this is that he puts in their politics, the partisan politics, and I, I do believe that. I think that the, the partisan nature of politics right now makes us feel worse. I think it makes us clouds our judgment of what the economy is actually doing. So I think that's a very interesting point that he brought up. What do you have any reaction to this quote? So I think that the money printer is really the compass that leads everything. I think that the Cantillon effect is really like the map that, that manages all of our incentives. And right now, the easiest way to get close to the the Cantillon effect, the easiest way to benefit from the from the printer, the means those who are closest to with the source of money inflows reap the most benefit. So if there is money production and you get that money first before the rest of the economy, you benefit the most. And it's like a it's like a waterfall cascade down from that first point. And guess how you get closer to the money printer? Politics. So we see. Mm politics seep into every single aspect of our lives. And it's just toxicity. It's toxicity everywhere. And it's not market forces. It's like this weird top-down communism. It really is. It's, it's not market forces. It's everything else. It's everything bad other than actually market-driven forces to drive our decision-making, to incentivize us to act. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that all news is political news. I'm not surprised that all anguish is political anguish. I'm not surprised that the average citizen <laughs> is looking for political solutions. And I'm not surprised that our business leaders, our banking leaders are blaming politics for, for you know, bad behavior. And honestly, like, can't hire people. It's really hard to hire people right now because, like, the constraints are huge. Everyone wants way more salary than ever before. It's insane, honestly. Everyone has way more political baggage than ever before, both the company and the person. Yeah. And then beyond that, every, everyone wants to work. You know, everyone wants everything. So at first, you know, if you got a remote job, it was a huge win. Like that was a dream job. Now that's like the baseline <laughs> negotiating point for all employees. Yeah. Like it's really hard for an employer to kind of have their way in this environment. And then on top of that, the taxes, the, all the legal constraints, the benefits that you have to provide, all this kind of stuff. It makes it hard. And up in, you know, up until very recently when that judge struck it down, you know, if you had 100 employees or more, they had to comply with the COVID vaccine. Like, of course, it's hard to hire people. And then on top of that, 
the money printer is not with markets. It's with politics. So all of these things are stacked against businesses and it's hard. I feel bad for CEOs as a general business, general manager of a business. I feel bad for myself. <laughs> I wait for Bitcoin. Yeah, I think, I mean, people hate, it, hate on Jamie Dimon a lot. He's kind of seen as this Davos man, right? The, one of these globalists. But I don't know. I, I've been thinking recently that the money interests in the United States are kind of pushing back a little bit against this uh, globalism. And I think we get a flavor of that here in the next couple quotes. So if we go to the next one. This one is China. He talks about China and I cut off the part about Putin, but this is China and Putin. So I'll just read through this China. Oh man, it's small print. I can't read it. Let me pull up the, I'm going to have to pull up the original piece. Sorry guys. Okay. China has serious issues. Our neighbors are peaceful, Mexico and Canada. Their neighbors are India, Pakistan, Russia, and Vietnam. They don't have enough energy and food. We do. We use 10 million barrels of oil a day. We pretty much produce most of it ourselves. They use 14 million barrels a day and they import something like 10 or 11. Those are 10 or 11 are going by pipeline or ship. A lot of ships that go by the oil tankers go by American warships. Autocratic management can work in certain things, but doesn't work in the long run. They kind of look at America and say, you have become incompetent and lazy. There is truth to that. We have screwed up infrastructure. We have screwed up inner city schools. But I think it is a mistake to say that America has the short end of the stick. We have the best military in the world, but we have overused it. You see that China is, you see what China is doing in Africa and Asia. We need to do that too. America needs to take a leadership position. People are making a mistake with America first thinking. We are spending too much time and money on foreign ventures that don't make sense. If we don't do trade with Western allies, China is going to cherry pick every nation. They'll give them 5G equipment for cheap. They'll negotiate deals, lend money. They are trying to do it in Latin America, our backyard. And then in a separate thing, he says, I think China is overreacting a little bit with the Taiwan thing. So interesting here that he's talking about some of the stuff I have been saying with, he copied my economic hurricane argument. And now he's copying me about saying that, you know, the geopolitical situation of the U.S. is that we have peaceful neighbors we're two, with two oceans, great harbors, great rivers, great agriculture, lots of natural resources. And you compare that to China where they're getting, you know, over half of their energy imported right past our warships. So passing it back to you, Christian, what do you think? I just want to flex that we've been talking about this for months on this show. So thanks, Jamie Diamond, for listening. And to everyone else listening, this is where the alpha comes from. So whenever you hear anyone LARP about China's dominant position taking over the U.S., even Ray Dalio recently wrote an entire book about this. Um, there is nothing in reality that shows that that is the case. So obviously, China's making moves. Obviously, China is powerful, but they're making huge mistakes. And the U.S. is still the entrenched power. Yeah, and the U.S. has let its infrastructure go downhill, let its schooling go downhill, let, you know, hollowed out the middle class. Well, that means we have area to grow. You know, we can get back to basics and, and grow the economy. But anyway, let's go to the next one. 
I think you'll like this one, Christian. This is on climate change. He said, we should focus on climate. So that that's this. I don't think that's what he means by this, but let, let's keep going here. The problem with that is because of high oil and gas prices, the world is turning back on their coal plants. It is dirtier. Why can't we get that through our thick skulls? What if you want to solve climate, climate change? It is not against climate for America to boost more oil and gas. So he's he's really a big drill baby drill kind of guy, I guess, is what he's saying. And he's saying that's good for the climate. So what, do, what are your thoughts on that, Christian? I mean, th this is the Alex Epstein argument, which is that, like, guess what helps us solve? Yeah. Like, yes, climate change is real. Yes, carbon is entering into the atmosphere. But guess what helps us solve those issues faster than they change? It's also fossil fueled powered technology. More, um, more energy, yeah. So, yeah, the answer is more energy. That's how you solve it. And if you look at the stats, there's never been less climate related deaths than today. And that's because of, you know, fossil fuel, for the most part, energy, or energy abundance that's currently provided by fossil fuels. So I think the key here, and this is where the ESG people miss is that there is no rationing our way to prosperity. When it comes to energy, there is only more and more efficient ways to get energy right now fossil fuels are one of the most convenient official ways to do it. But there are new there will be new ways to do it as well. And that's the key of Bitcoin. That's what Bitcoin does is it incentivizes that it taps into purely network forces to get us to that as fast as possible. So this is why we need to lean into Bitcoin. And honestly, guys like Jamin Diamond, I don't think it's going to take them that long to actually get it right. because it's really freaking obvious. Bitcoin is good for energy production. If you don't get it, I don't have time to convince you at this point. And honestly, <laughs> Jamie Diamond and others will get it. They will get it. They yeah, get paid to get it. Bitcoin pays them to get it. Especially if, you know, they're they're on the side of more energy production in the US and if that is going to become kind of the elite position that the US actually needs to pump more oil and more energy, I think Bitcoin mining goes right along with that, you know. So, um that they'll come around. I have one more quote here and that is woke capitalism. So this is, again, I'll have to remind people, this is Jamie Diamond, the CEO of JP Morgan, who is supposed to be like this elite Davos globalist. And he, here he's in these notes, he's talking against ESG. He's talking against woke capitalism. He's talking for building up America and pumping oil, drilling for oil here. It's just, it's fascinating to me. So here's what he says about woke capitalism. You could ignore the bad part of society, not hire from them, not drive through parts of town. I think it is a mistake because our society is worse off if we didn't lift everybody up. It is far more than woke capitalism. It is a good thing to lift up our fellow citizens. You travel the world and see things that work. Apprenticeship programs in Switzerland and Germany. If you have generations of kids, 17 to 25, with 20% unemployment, you can be sure you're going to have a social problem. Jobs bring dignity, household formation, job reduce, jobs reduce crime. Everybody should try to help if they can. And man, this is sounding like a conservative politician, if you ask me. But what, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, we're getting to the point now where woke capital is no longer good for business. It's eating itself. 
the left to many degrees, at least the political left in the United States is eating itself. The, the standards are so high that everyone is breaking them and therefore everyone is a hypocrite and under attack and it just cannot survive any longer. So on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast, I believe Brandon Green made the prediction that ESG, especially from BlackRock as an investment strategy, will no longer be relevant in the next five years. And I would say if that's probably true, I don't think it makes it out of the decade because honestly, it dies. Like whenever people adopt it, they 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 go severely south. Like the biggest benefit of ESG is marketing. That is it. Its greatest success is marketing. Beyond that, and any real production and any real results beyond marketing, beyond selling, it's actually a complete and utter failure. And when matched up against reality, that's what happens. Look at Sri Lanka. Look at what's happening. Uh, in Europe, look what look what could happen in the global south if this stuff is adopted. So I really do think that people need to beware. I really do think that uh, it's, it's not going to take that long where these policies will wreck people. And it's, again, very interesting to see Davos man, Jamie Dimon, speaking this, you know, this truth, if you will. Yeah. I just think it's like <laughs> you can't you can't ignore it at this point. And uh, it's going to be less, it'll be more and more obvious and less ignorable, less tolerable as time passes by because adopting ESG brings poverty. And guess what? People hate poverty. It sucks. Especially if you didn't have poverty and then you're subject to poverty, you really effing hate it. So I don't think that people will stand for it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I One other thing that I pulled out from this is he's kind of about the economy. He was unsure. But then as he moved more into social issues with woke capitalism and ESG and stuff, then he got more passionate or more concrete. So I, I do think that there is a little bit of confusion at these upper echelons of what exactly is going on. And I think Powell probably shares the same confusion at the Fed. So that's all I have on that. That's that's it, dude. That's all the, the slides I have. That's all the content that I prepared. Beautiful. Where, where should we go now? Well, I mean, we're we're getting up against time here, and I actually have a hard stop at the top of the hour. But sure. yeah, I mean, I want to say thank you to all the listeners, all the Bitcoiners who tune in every day. Appreciate y'all. We try to bring the alpha every single week. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would say the biggest alpha that I think that Ansel has really brought is very early on pushing against the inflation narrative because the fiat system is completely broken but we have to be able to diagnose it as effectively as possible so that way our narratives are unchallengeable moving forward and it's pretty tough to it's pretty tough to kind of swallow you know ha being right about bitcoin and then having people like say oh gosh bitcoin was never an inflation hedge like oh the bitcoiner <laughs> narratives are wrong so i do really think that it's important that uh, we be critical even of the Bitcoiner narratives and we be critical of the mainstream macro narratives and we think about what is happening. And we also, you know, we put Bitcoin into our mental model. So I think that that's super important. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And it uh, brings up this idea about maximalism that's been going around. You know, there's been a lot of controversy on Twitter flying around that uh, maximalists are, are bad for Bitcoin. But really, maximalists are just want to do exactly what you said. They want to open up the discussion. They want to have a debate. They want to question everything. And that's that's only good. That That's the same thing with the, with science, you know, with you know that they're hiding something from you when they when they try to 
squelch debate. Same thing with Bitcoin. If there, someone's trying to tell you, oh, don't be so mean, don't be so close-minded about things, that they're just trying to get you to stop talking. And that's when you know that you probably should continue, that you're probably more right than they are. So I, yeah, I totally 100% promote debating this, even, even taking a devil's advocate position on a lot of things and debating stuff out. I think that's very useful steel manning stuff. So yeah, that's all I got for today, Christian. I also heard that we got over 207, 247 viewers on rumble. So YouTube oh, nice. rumbles kicking your ass uh, on this day of macro. I noticed if you go back like three weeks, our episode of uh, the live stream episode with, with FedWatch got like 9,000 views. I was like, damn. So that was your biggest rumble viewership was like three weeks ago on FedWatch. Yeah, let's go. Well, hey, <laughs> you know, the people on rumble, they're watching the Fed. They're thinking about mm. what what's happening in macro. I love it. Uh, thank you to all the Rumble viewers. I know that a lot of y'all are gold bugs. I just want to take a quick shot at y'all. Mm. If you think that we're going back to gold, you're crazy because Bitcoin's the only sound money that's actually interoperable uh. with the tech infrastructure that we've already built. So we're not going back. We're only moving forward. So um, sorry, you can get wrecked on, on your gold, but I still appreciate y'all. Come back here for the signal. We're not going to... We're not going to just tell you what you want to hear. We're going to tell you what's up. And Bitcoin well, has to be part of your macro, th macro thesis. Gold bugs. I'm still with you there, guys. I still own some gold, okay? So gold, I, I as hardcore as Christian, but I probably wouldn't say it as hardcore as he is. I think gold might have a little bit left in the tank, but eventually Bitcoin is going to take it over. So all of the monetary value that's in, in gold is going to be accrued to Bitcoin in the long run. That's, Ansel, the only future yeah. for gold is if Bitcoin's incentives <laughs> fail. If Bitcoin exists, right, and Bitcoin continues run. to exist. I mean, whatever, some fuel left in the tank. While there's confusion, people will be scrambling. <laughs> but that's it. Right. That's all you got. So right. if Bitcoin succeeds, that's all gold got. And with that, I'm going to sign out. Rumble people, I love all you. Right. YouTube people, I love you. Twitch people, I love you. Make sure to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine wherever you view our content. Go subscribe to the FedWatch feed. Go subscribe to the Bitcoin Magazine feed, podcast feed. Follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin Magazine. Follow me on Twitter at CK underscore Snarks. I'll pass it to you, Ansel. Yeah, follow me at Twitter at Ansel Lindner. And check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com where I do a free weekly newsletter. It comes out every Friday. And lastly, check out the Telegram channel that I, I'm doing t.me forward slash bitcoin and markets i do a live stream there every single day some of them go on for more than a half an hour people are loving it over there so check that out and that's it christian thanks guys for watching what is up audio listeners thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. down in the show notes you will find all the appropriate links to our social media the original version of this podcast and community links also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. Hey. 
Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. I just want to let you know that tickets for Bitcoin Amsterdam are on sale now. The largest Bitcoin conference in Europe will take place from October 12th to 14th. More details can be found at b.tc forward slash conference forward slash Amsterdam. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your Bitcoin Amsterdam tickets today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Yeah.